Well, we've got the AMA, we've got state medical societies, lots of other professional societies, and we also have a unique healthcare professional society that focuses on the health concerns of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association. Join me as we find out what they're doing and why they were created. You're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Joel Ginsberg, an attorney who also has an MBA, who is the executive director of the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association. Welcome, Joel. Thanks so much for having me on your show. All right, let's talk about the organization and your goals. What, what are you here for? We're here to make sure that lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender patients and healthcare professionals are treated equally in the healthcare setting so that patients get quality care that's as good as anybody else would get and that healthcare professionals are not discriminated against in their work. Okay. And is there a lot of that? We see quite a lot of it. Yes, we do. We see a lot of lack of knowledge, indifference, occasional hostility by healthcare professionals and health systems toward lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender patients. And we see a lot of discrimination against healthcare professionals. So they're being unable to, to come out in their training programs, their fear of coming out in their work for being blacklisted. Well, let's talk about the term gay lifestyle. We talked about it privately, and you said, don't use that term. Let's talk about it. You know, it's a common thing to say gay lifestyle, but, but what's your hit on that? Am, am I using the wrong term? Well, I feel like the word lifestyle is not, is not actually accurate from a scientific perspective. And in fact, that's a word that folks that are actively opposed to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender people like to promote because it implies that homosexuality, bisexuality, and that non-conforming gender identity are choices. And all of the research, all of the data from decades is clear that people are not choosing their sexual orientation. People may choose from time to time to act in ways to, to have sex with somebody of the same or opposite gender, but that's very different from an innate drive which people universally understand to be natural and instinctual. So the word lifestyle implies that people are making certain kinds of choices, and it's easy to portray those choices as bad choices. In fact, sexuality is an orientation. One's sense of one's own gender is a matter of identity. It's not simply a choice. Well, I agree. And in thinking about the term, as I even used it myself, it actually is a term that's a little bit bigoted, stereotype. You know, the gay male out there being more feminine than masculine, running around being promiscuous. And this is just not true, is it? It's certainly not true of everybody in the population. I mean, just any group of people includes people who abuse substances, who have more sex than is healthy for them, or sex in ways that is not healthy for them. I certainly would not want to deny that as a community, we have some serious issues. We do have higher rates of more gay men have more sexual partners on average than heterosexual men. I personally believe that some of the destructive behaviors, self-destructive behaviors that we see in our community are connected to the kind of social stress that we experience. We see this in other oppressed groups. So I don't want to pretend that we don't have some serious issues. We, have, we do have higher rates of substance abuse overall, and those are serious issues for our health. So we need to be honest and, and face those issues. But let's also be scientific about understanding the causes of those conditions. Right. Well, there is a lot of discrimination in the world. Whenever anybody is different from us, we always try and discriminate them, or, or maybe we're scared. But I don't remember a lot of training in medical school myself or, or sensitivity training among medical students these days for gay, lesbian, transgendered, and bisexual people. How can we change that? Well, 
there are some really good models out there. Anybody who's listening to this show who's on faculty at a nursing school or a dentistry school or a school of medicine, if you're on faculty or if you're a student, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here. You could contact the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association, contact the American Medical Student Association, and we can put you in touch with people at other schools that have very successfully created curricula to inform and teach the, the students at these schools. Okay. You said you're working on a, and I looked on your website, working on a quality index report. What does this mean? Tell us tell us what you're doing here. Well, I'm really excited about this. We are partnering with the Human Rights Campaign, which is the country's largest gay rights organization. And we're in our second year now, and what we're doing is rating hospitals. We sent out a survey. It's a voluntary survey. And if anybody listening, you can participate in the survey. Just contact us, and we'll put you in touch with people who can get the survey out to your hospital administrators. We're asking questions that address the quality of care and the type of environment that's offered to employees of the hospitals. So, for example, does the hospital have a basic non-discrimination provision around sexual orientation and gender identity? Does the hospital guarantee no discrimination against its own LGBT healthcare professionals? Does the hospital offer cultural competency training? to its providers about how to provide quality care to its patients. Does the hospital have forms, intake forms, for example, that are non-exclusive of gay people? Those kinds of things. And we published the first report, came out late last year, and that's available on our website. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Reach MDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and with us today is Joel Ginsberg, who's an attorney and MBA, who's the executive director of the Gay and Lesbian Medical Society. Okay, so what did you find out from your first results? I can give you a few findings. For example, we asked whether hospitals had a written visitation policy that allowed LGBT domestic partners the same access as spouses and next of kin. 50 of the hospitals said, yes, they did have a written policy, but 27 said, no, they didn't, which means that if you went to one of those hospitals, you're vulnerable to being shut out, even though you may have lived with your partner for 25 years, your partner is in the ICU and you can't get in because the, because the hospital doesn't recognize you as a domestic partner. We asked a question, does your hospital have a written policy that allows same-sex parents the same access as opposite-sex parents for visitation of their minor children? 45 hospitals said yes, 24 said no. So what we, we really see disparate care there, a man and a woman can walk into an emergency room and they might not be married, but the hospital doesn't even ask. And the man might process the kid through intake and then he runs out and then they let, they let the woman to come in to see the kid or to make decisions or whatever. And they never ask, are you actually married? They don't demand to see a marriage certificate. Well, that's not the case with same-sex couples. What else have you learning? What else are you asking? Uh, we asked whether hospitals counsel patients on their right to designate their domestic partner or someone else as their medical decision maker when advising them of advanced directive rights. 56 hospitals said yes, they did. 19 said no, they didn't. We asked, does your hospital provide any diversity or cultural competence training to personnel addressing the unique issues related to LGBT patients and their families? 57 hospitals said yes, we do. 21 hospitals said no. So there's a lot of room for improvement here. Okay, so I guess that brings up the question, what are you going to do for these hospitals to help them? We are making available model policies. We are making available some training materials that we have created. So those can, you can find those on the website, www.hrc.org. Well, let me go back one question, actually, Joel. Are some of these hospitals just not interested when you contact them, or are they? Well, we're, we're sending 
this survey to thousands of hospitals, and at this point we've had about 70 responded in the first year, and we're now in the in the second round of this. Uh, many hospitals are not yet responding to the survey, so there's there's more work to be done. Do you think that the work to be done not only is hospitals, but really should get into medical education? That I mean, we're starting to make students, medical students, more sensitive to other cultures. But how about sensitivity to sexual orientation? That's a really good point. There's a lot of work to be done there. And, and some medical schools are, have already created some, some excellent programs. But many medical school programs uh, still don't include anything on homosexuality. I wanted to say a little bit about a slightly different subject. The American Medical Association has been doing some great work recently around these issues. And we've developed a, a good working relationship with them. They've created an internal task force to examine these issues, and it meets regularly. It's well supported by the association, and we think this is a great model for medical societies across the country. One of the the big programs that we're doing with them is a national random sample survey of U.S. physicians. So later this year, we're going to be sending this out, and we're asking physicians about their, their level of knowledge and their comfort level with LGBT patients. This data is going to be really the best information ever collected about what physicians know or don't know about the health of LGBT people. And we think this is going to be the definitive cultural competency diagnostic of physicians around LGBT patients. This is a survey that we want to replicate also with other healthcare disciplines. I'm willing to bet you that there's a lot more ignorance out there than we know, because I'm listening to some of my own as I'm talking to you. And I think I'm a pretty open and educated guy. So I think this is a great study. What about the future of the organization? You need members. Anybody can join, correct? That's right. Anybody can join. I would encourage anybody listening who wants to let the world know that they are welcoming and accepting of LGBT patients should come to our website and create a listing for themselves in our provider directory. Our website is www.glma.org, and at no cost, you can list your practice in our online directory. This is really important because one of the things that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender patients most want is to find a provider that they can talk to. So if you're a provider like that, please come to our website and sign yourself up. It only takes a few minutes to create an online listing. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and with us today is Joel Ginsberg, who's an attorney and MBA, who's the executive director of the Gay and Lesbian Medical Society. Okay, how many members do you have in the organization now, if you don't mind? Around 1,000. How big is your, your database for providers? Is it pretty big, or are people scared? I mean, do you think that, you know, straight physicians would be scared to to put themselves in that database, fearful that they may be labeled? That has not been a concern so far, although we are looking at a potential partnership with another organization to allow our straight members to identify themselves as such in the directory, just in case they are concerned about that. But we haven't found that to be a problem so far. Is there anything else you wish to discuss or wish to let us know about the organization in the last couple minutes here? Well, I'd like to just say one more thing about the research work we do. We have a program called the Lesbian Health Fund, And this is the only organization in the world, actually, that makes grants solely for lesbian health research. We have given out, I think, about 70 grants over the last 13, 14 years and over half a million dollars in in grants. These tend to be small grants to researchers who are uh, earlier in their careers, but we've had tremendous return. So 
if we give a dollar to a researcher, they turn around and they generate $20 in later funding for their, their research. We are dependent on our membership dues and do individual donations. And if you think that what we're doing is important and valuable, encourage you to come to our website and to make a donation or to join the organization. Thank you. Hey, Joel, thank you for being my guest today and raising awareness of the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association with listeners and colleagues across the country. I certainly wasn't aware of it until I came across it, and I, I think you guys are doing great work because medicine is about loving and caring all people, no matter what their color, their race, their orientation, and, and we need to move forward in that. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD XM is here for you, the health professionals who care for your patients, for all of your patients of any kind of patient. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at reachmd.com, where our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. We truly thank you for listening. 